Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Well, I know it's harvest season and you may still have a lot of crop left in the field, but we're already thinking about next year and especially fertility plans. So I just say this, odds are pretty high that you've already talked to your fertilizer dealer about N, P, and K. But have you talked about sulfur? Have you thought about calcium? Those are two tremendously important, what we call secondary nutrients. And we're going to focus on those today on the show. So it's calcium and sulfur during our show today. If you've got any questions on those two nutrients or anything else that's going on in your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Or find us on Twitter, AgPhDMedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, so we're going to get to the AgPhD mailbag in just a minute. But I I would encourage you, if you don't have this already in your phone, download the free AgPhD fertilizer removal app. We worked with the International Plant Nutrition Institute to get the nutrients that many different crops need. So I'm not going to say we have all crops on there, but I'm just going to pull up corn as an example here. And then we're going to talk about calcium and sulfur from there. But I'm going to punch in 250 bushel corn. So on our farm, that's my yield goal for next year. I'd like to average 250. We didn't hit that this year. We were pretty darn dry in our area. And you could really see it in some fields, especially our our lighter fields. But anyway, let's say we're going for 250 bushel corn just as an example. So I pulled this up in the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. For sulfur and for calcium, guess how many pounds that you need. Just think in your mind for one second, how many pounds do you think we need of sulfur? And how many pounds do you think we need for calcium for 250 bushel corn? Here are the numbers. Sulfur, 38 pounds. Calcium, 36 pounds. Many people refer to sulfur as a micronutrient. It's not. Micronutrients are these. Copper, manganese, zinc, boron, iron. Uh, You know with copper, it only takes 0.18 pounds of copper. That's it. 0.18 for 250 bushel corn. (laughs) Now that's a micronutrient. Sulfur, we need 38 pounds. It's no wonder so many more people are fertilizing with sulfur than they used to as our yields have gone up. And the free sulfur we used to get raining down from the sky, uh, isn't since that's not happening anymore, we need a lot more sulfur with our crops. And then calcium, I realize a lot of soils are quite rich in calcium. And, I, and also understand this, there's a difference between grain removal and what it takes to produce the stover and what's left in the stover overall. The grain removal for sulfur is 20 pounds. The grain removal for calcium is only about three. So in other words, if you leave all the residue in the field and you only take the grain away, yeah, there's a lot of sulfur leaving your field, but not so much calcium. So anyway, we're going to talk more about calcium and sulfur throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. It's very risky doing this, starting out with a drainage tile question for Brian to begin the show, because we only have 55 minutes left, Uh, but I'm going to take a chance here. This one comes from Jim down in Australia. So guys, my part of Australia has been getting wetter in short bursts through the winter. This may happen, I guess, half the years. 
Ryegrass blowouts are occurring in the wet areas, and yields in these areas are poor when they're wet, and we're seriously losing some yield. We farm winter crops, wheat, canola, etc. We've got what we call duplex soils, and here's really the, the start of my question. So we've got roughly 20 centimeters of topsoil. It's a clay loam. And then we go into a B-Horizon sodic clay subsoil. If we tile at, say, three feet deep, do we need a gravel backfill considering the tile would be two and a half feet down in the clay subsoil? I'm concerned the sodic clay subsoil will settle over the tile, restricting water infiltration over time. Whereas it seems you guys have heaps of topsoil and you sort of <laughs> lay out your tile lines on top of your subsoil rather than embedding it in the subsoil, but I could be wrong. Just curious. I wish that was true, that we had that much topsoil. That would be glorious. When Darren and I, it just got me thinking, and so I'm going to go off on a, well, anyway. I'll, back like in 2006, you said, only 55 Darren and I, minutes yep, left of the show. Darren and I were in Ukraine in 2006, and they had three, four, five feet of great black subsoil topsoil i mean down into what we would normally think is going to be subsoil and i'm like wow this is amazing this is like i i'm in iowa or something but no in a lot of cases in many of our fields unless we're talking the low ground where we had erosion years ago we're only dealing with six to eight inches of topsoil so we're doing the exact same thing throwing tile down into the clay and that's fine where your restriction a lot of times will come from with water is when it goes from a horizon to b horizon so you just have to work on managing the compaction in that zone now when you say sodic then right away i'm thinking okay we've got lots of sodium there and i like to see it a soil test on your subsoil that would be interesting but i think you're going to be just fine what what the goal is if you have too much sodium in a soil is to turn that sodium into a salt usually people will use sulfur so they'll make it sodium sulfate that's a salt that's leachable as long as you have good drainage and with the tile in the ground it should work just fine all right thanks for the question uh, i get this one that came in from uh, amar and he said guys my ph level in the soil is 5.5 i want to raise tomatoes to increase my pH to 6.3, I added lime to my soil. Now my question is, do I have to wait until my soil reaches that 6.3? It takes years. Or can I start the crop right now knowing that I already put the input out there? Oh, you want to put the crop out right away. You can't delay having a crop. You can't skip a year or two or anything else. So here's the way lime usually works. The more heat and the more moisture you have, the faster that lime is going to break down. Also, the smaller particle size to begin with, the faster that lime is going to break down. So let, let's call it uh, in southern Canada, I might say, ooh, it could take three to five years for somebody's lime to break down. Here in my area, I'm going to think two to three years. Um, I don't know what your conditions are. It might take a couple of years for it to fully break down. It might take five or six. That's, that's a good question. But in the meantime, you still have to raise a crop. And when you started at 5.5, it wasn't that far off anyway. I think you're going to be just fine. I'd go ahead and raise the crop. Stay tuned. We'll be right back talking calcium and sulfur. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. 
The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter-turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. It came on a night like any other. With power unlike anything else on Earth. Using beyond advanced active ingredients like bicyclopyrone, Acuron GT post-emergence corn herbicide is here to annihilate tough weeds. Advanced technology, enhanced control. Talk to your Syngenta retailer about Acuron GT. Always read and follow label instructions. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler Fungicide unleashes multiple modes of action for proven, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. Start protecting your territory at agbiome.com howler. Did you know 20% of stored corn is often overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for less with the end zone for corn from Farm Shop MFG. Specially priced at $1,800 per unit while supplies last. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. We are talking about building and managing calcium and sulfur in your soils. Now, I know that sounds like, well, wait a second, you're talking gypsum, aren't you? That's calcium and sulfur. It doesn't have to be gypsum. It could be other things too, but certainly gypsum could be one of those products that you might choose to use that that would address both at one time. And this isn't saying that both need to get built. It could be either or. You may say, you know what, I got plenty of calcium. Sulfur is what I'm working on. We'd love to hear what your strategies are. We'd love to hear what's going on in your farm. And our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, down in western Iowa, Kelly Garrett's trying to wrap harvest up, I'm sure. Uh, but he's kind enough to join us on the show today. Kelly, how you doing? Good. How are you, Darren? Good. How's harvest coming in your part of the state? Uh, it's moving right along. I'm driving down the highway right now behind Connor. I've got the head. We're moving down to another farm. We have probably two weeks left. Okay. Well, there you go. That goal of getting done by Halloween, you're still on track. We're on track. Okay. Talk to us a little bit about calcium and sulfur in your soil. What? I know you've got a lot of variability where you're at, which is always fun to manage. Uh, are <laughs> calcium and sulfur two of those that you say, uh, these are long-term plays for us that we've got to do some building, or are these more, i got to feed the crop for this year kind of nutrients? This is one of my favorite subjects, Darren. I'm so glad you called today. Uh, calcium, to me, we have plenty of it in these in western Iowa and the Les Hills. We actually have too much, and we have a base saturation problem, and it is a yield penalty because it builds up in the soil and ties up the other nutrients. Calcium is a double positive ion, and it's looking to get neutral. And it's very frustrating to me because of that, because even though I have so much in my soil, because it ties up so easily, 
it's unavailable to the crop. So it is something that we spoon feed. Uh, Liberate CA from AgroLiquid is a, a product that we like to use, and we will put that through the, uh, through the drip and we'll apply it foliarly to try to get more calcium in the crop. Calcium is actually the biggest nutrient deficiency we have. You know, it's interesting that you say that because we, we've got some soils that way too that have too much calcium. But uh, guys that are looking at their soil tests and seeing thousands of parts per million of calcium are like, what? I got to spend more money yep. on calcium. But it's kind of interesting. I, I remember back uh, when we first started working with TJ Micromix and, and Tom Johnson was telling us, yep, I put a little bit of calcium in there and it, it really helps. And I thought, are you kidding? We got so much calcium in our soil. But as soon as we used formulations that didn't have calcium, our yields went down. So it, it just isn't available, and that is I a agree. real challenge. We, uh, we had a trial because our, we're trying to improve the skeletal structure of the soybeans. We had a V2, actual, V2 application of calcium in the soybeans, and it produced three and a half bushels, and it was only calcium at V2. Wow. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. And, and, you know, tracking this, uh, we look at some of those big nutrients, N, P, and K, and everybody gets excited about those. But sometimes these secondary nutrients like calcium and magnesium can really carry a big load. And so to get calcium available, applying some readily available calcium is good. How about sulfur, though? I know sometimes you find sulfur can free things up in the soil as well. Yes, so sulfur is a huge thing for us. And we use the, that plant food byproduct that I've spoken about before. If you don't have access to that, ammonium sulfate I like as a product. Sulfur to me is a soil amendment first and a nutrient second. And if you don't apply enough to become a, if you don't apply enough to amend your soil, there isn't enough left to be a nutrient. And sulfur is what we use to control the calcium problem that we have. I got to tell you, uh, gypsum to me is, is a four-letter word here because a lot of times I'll see uh, people will be putting gypsum on to try to help out, and they'll say it's the most inexpensive form of sulfur. But it's already tied to that calcium. Again, calcium is a double positive ion. Sulfur is a double negative, very, very strong chemical bond. Applying that on the soil, it can take a long time. It's a very slow-release type of situation. And I'm wanting to amend my soil for the upcoming year, so I'm applying uh, elemental sulfur in the form of that plant food product it becomes the most attractive thing to my calcium problem in my soil. I'm, I'm basically making gypsum in my soil, and I'm releasing the other nutrients that are so tied up by that calcium. And we'll have, we have seen up to a 40-bushel yield increase in a very tough area. When I say tough area, I mean high base saturation calcium area. That sulfur frees everything up, and we have a really nice yield gain from it year in and year out. One of the things Brian and I talk about is we've got a lot of variability on our farm with topography and soil types and, and these kinds of things, and it offers us the chance to learn a lot. And I guess that's one of the blessings that Kelly's got as well, that he gets to try to fix a lot of these problems out there and learn from. Yes. Uh, Kelly, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay safe. Uh, you got a couple hard weeks yet, but uh, the end is in sight. Yes, sir. It's been a, the weather looks nice. Uh, just go to work and enjoy it. Everybody stay safe. Thanks, Darren. You bet. Thanks, Kelly. Let's head over to Illinois. Got Drew on with a question right now. Drew, how are you doing? Fine. How are you today? Pretty good. Pretty good. What What can we do for you? Yep. I have a question. I, I raised some grass hay, and I'm wondering, is that sulfur very important to that crop? Yeah, it sure is. Sulfur is a, is a really important nutrient in all crops. It's an essential nutrient, obviously, but uh, it's 
in in many cases the the fourth of the big uh, the big three. It's got a number four. So N P and K are big, but oh, okay. sulfur is too, especially with uh, with grass production. And I have seven parts per million of sulfur. Okay, averaged on that field. So you know is, that's is something that too. That's something too, where when when you look at what your removal is going to be, it's it's easily going to be more than twenty pounds, and seven parts per million in a six inch test is roughly fourteen pounds. You're going to get a little bit of free sulfur release out of your organic matter mineralization that you have, but in general, you're you're definitely going to benefit from putting on some more sulfur. And what kind of sulfur would you use, like an AMS, uh, ammonium sulfate, or, Any, or just straight sulfur? Yeah, so, so Drew, there are a lot of different sources. Mm -hmm. Like on our on our farm, we're spreading some ammonium sulfate right now. We're also, okay. this week, going to put some manure on. We've used compost. We've used gypsum. Uh, we've used ammonium thiosulfate. We've, I mean, there are a lot of different forms, so I don't care all that much. You just have to get some out there. Also, just to okay. give you an idea, because I don't know what kind of grass you have, but uh, like for our area, a lot of lot of a lot of us have brome grass, and let's just say it was brome grass. Five tons of brome grass, it needs twenty five pounds of sulfur. It needs one hundred and sixty pounds of nitrogen. So it's nowhere near the amount of nitrogen you need. But sulfur, I mean, twenty five pounds, it's it's a fair amount. So just for example, you're in your soil. If you've got seven parts per million. If you multiply mm -hmm. that, figure it's a six-inch soil test, that would mean you multiply times two to convert over to pounds per acre. That means you only have 14 pounds out there. So if the grass crop needs 20 or 25 pounds, even if it only right. needs 15 pounds, I mean, you're you're still most likely a little short. Okay. And when would you apply that, now or in spring? Um, if you want to do a little bit now, you certainly can. Sulfur is leachable. Is your soil heavy or is it light? Um, what, what would that be on? What, cation exchange? Be, oh, cation exchange. Hold on, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, that is uh, seventeen. Seventeen. Okay, so we call that a medium textured soil. So, I, I mean, your sulfur will stay around for quite a while. It's just not going to stay around forever. It's not. It doesn't leach as fast as nitrate or anything like that. But as a general statement, a lot of people when they put nitrogen on, that's when they like to okay. put sulfur on. Oh, okay. Okay, so, so I was going to do that next spring. So, sure. Okay. Yep. Yep. You can do it then. That'd be just fine. You bet. Thanks for the call, Drew. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. You bet. Thank you. Hey, Brian. Uh, Kelly brought up a good point. We we talk about building, but also managing calcium and sulfur in your soils. So, in addition to. Yeah. Hey, my computer's down. Just uh, click click the button on that, if you would. Oh, gotcha. thank you. Gotcha. I'm, 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 I'm doing hand signals to Darren, and oh. he's like, "What are you What are you doing?" Well, yeah. I'm like, so, "What?" what behind you, the scenes, you, yeah, my computer was restarting. At? Couldn't help it. All right. So, uh, when when you look at uh, calcium, you can have too much sulfur. If you've got too much, that's a pretty good indication something is restricting the flow of water through your soil. Whether that's a, a drainage issue, whether that's compaction out in your soil, one of those kinds of things. If you're too high in calcium, that's a lot more challenging to, to fix and to deal with. And, and Kelly was kind of addressing that there, that even when you're really, really high in calcium, you may need to add just a little bit to feed this crop because if you've got too much, it's probably not available or at least readily available for your crop. So more to talk about with calcium and sulfur coming up right after this. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it 
depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting corteva.us. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio talking about building and managing calcium and sulfur in your soils. We are broadcasting from the Martin studio today and our phone lines are open 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head over to Minnesota right now. Busy, busy guy right now, I'm sure. Ben Ice with Ice's Soil Restoration. Ben, how you doing? Doing good. You know, this fall season with harvest, with soil sampling and setting up the game plans here for fertility and next year, I know you're super busy, but wanted to ask you just a little bit about calcium and sulfur. Uh, with, with the guys that you're consulting with on soils, uh, would you say more of them have high calcium or have you got a lot of guys that are trying to build that up? It depends on where I'm at. Like 
certain places in South Dakota we need calcium. Um, uh, you know, it's, it just depends on the state. Wisconsin always needs lime, it seems like. But it depends on whether they need high-cal lime or gypsum or if they're in sand, maybe some dolomite. But typically it's high-cal lime and gypsum, typically. Yeah, there's different ways that that a guy can address this calcium situation. And then uh, Kelly Garrett was on a little bit ago, and Kelly was saying, man, I've got really high base saturation calciums, but my calcium's not available, so I'm trying to feed the crop with something that that is available for this year. Uh, I I know a lot of farmers don't focus on calcium, but uh, I I know you talk about calcium a lot. Well, I mean, it more or less comes down to, I mean, those base saturations better be about of a 60% base set on calcium because we need it for so many different roles in the plant. Um, looking at your sulfur thing also is, well, the guy with the high calcium, he better be using lots of ammonium sulfate and he better be using elemental sulfur and other sulfate forms to, um, you know, help solubilize even his insoluble calcium because he's got high calcium. You know, you mentioned the sulfur forms, and we we do get a lot of questions around when do I use elemental sulfur, when do I use uh, sulfate sulfurs, and I know a lot of growers have also said, what do you think about ammonium sulfate as part of that nitrogen source? Uh, Talk to us about sulfur a little bit, Ben. Uh, Do you have kind of a a secret recipe that goes on to to make sure we get sulfur available throughout the season? I know you've got guys with light soils, and that can be a challenge. Well, the biggest thing you got to look at is you got to look at, okay, where do we start on the, on the sulfur parts? Are we like down at, you know, between three and eight, which most soil tests that we all look at every day are always between, you know, three to eight parts per million, or are we getting them up into 10 or 12 or 15 or 20? Um, I like to see a minimum sulfur at like 50 parts, which is hard to find. And so that can equal into a combination of using ammonium sulfate. You'd be using gypsum. You could be using... Um, you know, elemental sulfur. Elemental sulfur, most people need anywhere between 10 and 40 pounds a year minimum. Ammonium sulfate could be, you know, on the low end of, you know, 150, 200 to, you know, guys growing big, huge corn yields could use, you know, five to 700 pounds, but you've got to know what you're doing with that. So you're careful not to overdo it either. So. Yeah, that is always the trick. And and on the calcium, I know this is one we talk about too for guys that are doing lime. We we say, man, just watch watch where you're at. You don't want to overdo that because if you overdo the calcium, it it takes a long time to work that back down. But if you need more, it's pretty easy to add some. Uh, do you have a different strategy with calcium? Well, the biggest thing with calcium is you always need to have enough. The trick is what most guys don't realize is when the lime spreaders come in and say, well, I want to put one, two, three ton, whatever on. It's knowing your numbers and your TECs and calculating all that to know that, you know, with potassium pushing what, you know, eight, nine hundred bucks a ton right now, you do not want to be blowing your potash off with over putting calcium on. That would be a very bad decision. So Yeah, fertilizer. The, the prices. Yeah. So fertilizer is not cheap this year, no doubt about that. And no. it, it makes yeah. the soil testing just that much more important. Uh, as you're looking for variability out there in fields, how do you like to do it? Do you like to go with zones? Do you like to go with grids? Does it kind of vary depending on the grower? We do a, we do a lot of, gr- we do a lot of zones. You guys do a lot of grids. There are some of my guys that actually do do grids, which they're good too. I would love and dream of seeing a hybrid come out where we would, you know, use management zones, combine maps, EC, you know, kind of all of it and mesh it all together. And I think we're going to get there. I think guys are already starting to do it. Um, But just trying to find a way to manage every inch of that soil as best as we can 
to maximize production because of our fixed costs we have going across each acre. So, Yeah, variable rate applications this year, I would assume, are going to be quite popular with this this uh, expensive well, yeah. uh, fertilizer EK, out there. Yeah, so, yeah. Oof, mm-hmm. Don't want to waste it. Well, Ben, uh, I know you're super busy this time of year. Really appreciate having you on. Again, we're talking with Ben Ice with Ice's Soil Restoration over in Minnesota, but Ben, of course, covers uh, a lot farther than just the state of Minnesota. Uh, ben, thanks for being on. Really appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. See you. You as well. Uh, Brian, when you talk about the the sulfur, uh, we hit a number of different sources there. We got some sulfur that we're even going to uh, that we've been putting out on our farm now for a number of years. Seems like that ammonium sulfate thing is getting to be more popular. Um, is it getting to be more popular? Probably. I, I mean, yeah, There, like I was saying earlier, there are a lot of different ways to do stuff. I would say the one that we get the most questions on is elemental sulfur, just because people aren't super familiar with it. And so let's just talk about the difference real quick with ammonium sulfate that is in the sulfate form, whereas elemental sulfur, it's in a, a different form. It's going to convert eventually over to sulfate, but it may take some time. All right. Let's head out to Montana. We've got Clayne Jones with us right now with Montana State. Clayne, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking sulfur, but also talking calcium. In in your state, what do you see with, with calcium levels? Are they generally pretty high, or are a lot of guys having to add calcium each year? Uh, they're generally very high. You know, So as you probably know, our soils are termed calcareous for the most part. They have very high levels of calcium, and sometimes when they come back from a, a lab and they have, say, 4,000 ppm of exchangeable calcium and it's labeled as high people get concerned like my calcium's too high but that's what our plants have evolved to uh, deal with is high levels of calcium out here when it comes to sulfur i I know this has been one over the years that that has changed and and certainly there are um, uh, a lot of different opinions on the sulfur side of things what are you seeing out in montana are you guys seeing some gains adding some sulfur there it's really hit and miss. I have a sulfur study that's starting this coming year, partly because we are seeing more sulfur deficiency, especially in some of our alternative crops, like our pulse crops. Uh, We've observed very high uh, yield increases and nitrogen fixation increases when we've applied sulfur to lentil in certain years on, on certain sites. Certainly canola, I recommend sulfur on canola and some of the other oil seeds, uh, almost regardless of the sulfur soil tests. Our small grains generally don't show big increases from sulfur, but some people put on just a little bit, maybe five units of sulfur, just to kind of preempt a potential sulfur deficiency. Yeah, I think the other thing, too, is we end up with sulfur in a number of the fertility products we use. I know for guys using zinc in our area, there's a lot of zinc sulfate that gets used. And uh, when guys are putting out different nutrients, it's often in the sulfate form. Do you see the same thing, too, where, hey, you get a couple pounds here, you get a couple pounds there. Before you know it, you got plenty. You know, we do, but micronutrients aren't a a huge concern out here, except for maybe chloride and if people do put on a product like zinc it might be on that order of you know two pounds per acre and the the sulfur level might therefore be you know closer to one and so it's not a very uh, large fraction Uh, but we do have fairly high levels of sulfur in montana partly we don't have the rainfall that leaches sulfate out of our soil 
And that's why guys don't typically, you know, apply it just universally without doing some tissue testing or some soil testing. That is a great point. You think about low moisture areas, and also I'm glad you brought up the pulse crops too. That's just a, another spot where we can broaden out our conversation a little bit. We're talking with Clayne Jones at Montana State. And Clayne, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. No problem. Take care. You know, he brings up a couple of great points there, Brian. We always think about sulfur as, oh man, it's going to leach out. But if you don't get rain, you get a chance to hold some of these things a lot better. Especially when you have decent levels of organic matter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a big difference, but we say it often about this whole leaching thing with one soil to the next, our geography, and where we have little rain, heavy soils. It's a whole different and, situation and where frozen, we have sand and frozen lot. for yeah, half the year, exactly. too, like they yeah, are in that's Montana. That's a big deal. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Applying fallen hydras? You know the challenges. Too warm, too wet, too cold. Hi, I'm Greg Souter with 360 Yield Center. I've shifted my nitrogen application to spring and summer. By applying my base of N with the planter, I'm putting it near the seed right before the plant needs it. Then I wide drop at V10 and apply exactly what the crop needs. Don't push an application window and risk losing your nitrogen. Learn more about a base plus nitrogen strategy at 360yieldcenter.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. 
Always read and follow all label directions. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. We've been talking about calcium and sulfur in the soil, and we welcome your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Kansas. Got Marty on with us right now. Wants to talk a little fall herbicide for soybeans. Marty, how you doing? Hey, well, we're out here cutting strips right now that we left that we didn't bale in our area. We've had, oh, probably an inch and a half of rain since 22nd of June. So we baled all of our soybeans in the bottoms, um, left strips right here, cutting them now for crop insurance. Um, so it's been a crappy, crappy year here. Yeah, that is no fun. That is no fun at all. All right, so you're already thinking my, about next my, year then. Get this year in the well, bag, and let's start talking about yeah, next year. Yeah, exactly. Hey, we are completely clean. In the past, I've put Distinct on, and this year I was thinking about putting Basis Blend on. But there is absolutely nothing out here. No rain's really forecasted. The soil profile is completely dry. How late would you wait to put that on? I'm, I'm after controlling winter weeds are going to pop up to kind of make me a problem next spring. You know, Marty, I just had this exact question from a guy in South Dakota today because he's in a similar situation to you. Almost no rain for the last several months. And what he was worried about was if he sprays and he was going to do Valor. He said, if I spray the fall valor right now, is it going to blow away? Because <laughs> we've been yeah. getting big winds, and I'm worried about dust. And I go, oh, man, that sounds like a horrible problem to, to even have to think about. I will tell you, we just started spraying today on our farm with our fall stuff. Now, keep in mind, we're two states north of you. And so, I mean, you have a lot more time than we do. For us, winter will close in potentially in two to four weeks. So we, we never really know. It might be six weeks, but, I mean, the point is it's coming sooner here than down by you, chances are. So would I worry about waiting a little bit? No, you can wait a little bit. You could wait till a little rain's in the forecast. I mean, you you, you got a little bit of time if there's nothing out there right now. Okay. Okay. So I like we I've sprayed it clear into December and gotten along all right. Yes. Yes. Um, now I, I would say if, I, I, I like distinct a lot. It's fantastic. It's the same thing as status, only status as a corn safener. That's why distinct is so much cheaper. With bases blend, I get concerned because it's ALS chemistry. And if you have ALS-resistant weeds like kochia, water hemp, mare's tail, and palmer pigweed, it's not going to get those weeds. So I, I'd be really concerned about using that as a product. But otherwise, yes, the idea of fall spraying to get winter annuals and stuff like that should be great. What if we get into December and I see nothing? So I don't have to call you back in December. Would you, would you just oh. skip it and run an early spring? I, I I probably would. So if it was me on my farm, I definitely would. Uh, but the the reason why I say probably for you and quite frankly for anybody listening is I don't know what your ability to spray quick and early in the spring is. Like for me, I, we've got three guys that work for us on the farm and do a great job. I got a couple of sprayers. I can get we can get everything sprayed. I mean, in no time, and we'll do it super early in the spring. So I don't worry that it's going to get done. If you've got eighteen other jobs, you got to get 
done and then spraying is the next priority, then I would say, you know, I might still consider doing something in December even if nothing is up. But yeah, if it was my farm and I was in your spot with my help and the way we're set up to spray early, I wouldn't even worry about it. I mean, your your number one goal was to kill winter annuals. Well, if they don't ever grow, then great. Save the money and just spray in the spring. Yep. Okay. All right, guys. I appreciate the info. You bet. Good luck. Have a good day. Thank you. Too. Bye. Brian dialing up the drought for weed control. How about that? All right. Well, this I don't know why Janelle uh, even talked to Kellen Huber with Keltec Ag because we've only got an hour-long show and we're talking calcium. That's not enough, Kellen. How can we do it? No, I don't know. We're going to have to uh, change things up a bit. We'll have to do the fast <laughs> and quick one. All right. Hey, talk to us about calcium just a little bit up in Saskatchewan, and I know you cover areas beyond that as well, but you guys have got some hard soil up there right now. Is it too much calcium? Do we need more calcium? Is that part of it, or do you just need some rain? Oh, we got uh, high magnesium. And, yeah, I sent you some pictures there, and, and, you know, it's got some hard ground. And when your mag gets so hard, you know, we got to get some more calcium in there. Our base saturations are just a little out of balance here right now. But trying to manage calcium is a real struggle nowadays. You know, we talk about base saturation a lot on the show, and you, you mentioned having really high magnesium levels. We've got a little bit of ground like that, and and my grandpa and my dad had told Brian and me, don't waste your money down there. That, that ground's just not going to produce. But if you add more calcium, it, base saturation adds up to 100. And if you just keep adding calcium, you can get that ratio right where you want it, and all of a sudden that soil works a whole lot better. Yeah, we got a bunch of soil on that. We have crops like canola, brassica plants that actually take a lot of calcium out. And and it's something that calcium hasn't been looked at for a long period of time. And we need to start adding a whole bunch of calcium. And I, I started doing a bunch of work with some foliar calcium that I had. And really, we went after some salted ground just to get some energy back into it. It's amazing how just a little bit of foliar applicated calcium does a lot of good in season. But to really manage calcium, we need to look at the basic factors in fall time, getting the porosity back into the soil, getting that base saturation up into that 65 to 72 range. Because in Western Canada, calcium is hard to find. I don't know what it's like down there, but down here, find good calcium carbonate, it's tough to find. Yeah, we, we're in a better spot with that. We can we can find plenty of that. We just can't find any fertility that's cheap. <laughs> it's all really expensive this year, uh, which for, for some guys, they say, okay, I know I need to make this change long term, but it's expensive right now. What about for the short term? You mentioned doing some foliar applications. What about some in-furrow and some of those kinds of things? Can you get by for a year that way? Yes, you can manage it nicely. Uh, it's getting that right product because there's so much recycled stuff that's out there. And I haven't had a lot of good life with recycled products. I've really done well with um, real, you know, calcium carbonate coming out of the uh, out of the mines. I'm actually just trying some sugar beet lime. I just ordered 600 metric ton, and we're going to do some fields up here right now with some uh, beet lime. 
and I'm really excited about it because there's so many properties, and I know Brian's talked about beet lime quite a bit, and I think I'm going to give it a good run here this year. Outstanding. It, you know, the other thing that we were going to talk about today just a little bit was sulfur as well. Uh, and you mentioned you just need to get a test on what's in those things like sugar beet lime just to see what other nutrients are in there. I know some of the different things that we put on our farm end up having quite a bit of sulfur in them, and, and we need the sulfur. What what about up in, in Saskatchewan? So sulfur, I've been working with three different products. Um, anything, the your standard sulfur elemental sulfur with tiger or uh, keg river or any one of those type of companies they have a micronized sulfur that's to it and the particle size can get fairly big on them so i've been working with two other uh, one is a liquid sulfur and the second one is a low micron sulfur that digests and breaks down really quick and I know in previous discussions with you guys, I've been finding a tremendous amount of activity with this micronized sulfur, which basically is 200 microns and down. And it'll break down really fast. I've seen it help in calcium situations, but I've really seen it stimulate nitrogen, stimulate other micronutrients, and just give a tremendous energy factor to the plants. I contribute a lot of our dry soils where we put sulfur on this year to the yield you know we had exceptional heavy wheat this year we had really good looking lentils this year and actually it um, blessed us with some pretty good yields yeah we were just talking with clean jones down at montana state and he said the same thing on the pulse crops he said man on the lentils the response that they had when they had sulfur out there available for the crop was just huge hey kellen we got to run but i really appreciate having you on good luck here the rest of the season up there really glad you can make it on the show today thank you take care you bet talking calcium and sulfur on the show today also taking your calls and questions at 800 at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications, and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal app today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Just because your combine is one brand 
doesn't mean its corn head should be the same, especially when it costs you yield. Drago corn heads are engineered to harvest more. Lowest profile saves ears, self-adjusting deck plates save kernels, longer knife rollers reduce trash, and aggressive gathering chains pick up stocks. No other corn head works like a Drago or pays you back like one. See more features and find your Drago dealer at dragotech.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Compromise is nice if you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitec fungicide, fast-acting and long-lasting, preventative and curative, disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill, and take your full prize in yields with Revitec fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today and we've been talking about calcium and sulfur. So right before the break, Kellen Huber up in Canada was was mentioning sugar beet lime. And so I just wanted to give you some numbers that we had from sugar beet lime because I'm assuming that most people are not familiar with how many nutrients are actually in this lime. Now, granted, every source is going to be different. Okay. So this isn't a general statement saying, well, all sugar beet lime has this, but the sugar beet lime that we tested, this is a couple of years ago, and this was out of Minnesota. This is what it had. So in six tons of sugar beet lime, it had 103 pounds of phosphate. It had 30 pounds of K2O potassium. It had about 2,600 pounds of calcium and 145 pounds of magnesium. But it had 19 pounds of iron, which I thought was great. And then here's the thing, and the main reason why I wanted to mention this, 50 pounds of sulfur in six tons of sugar beet lime. 50 pounds of sulfur. So we've talked today about how important both calcium and sulfur are. And in some of these different lime sources, whether like for us, we use water treatment lime or like for Kellen, he was talking about sugar beet lime in, in these different sources, you want to test them always. Don't just test for, oh, how good a liming product is it, but test for, okay, what are the other nutrients in there? Because if you get a whole bunch of free sulfur like this, well, I mean, that saves you a lot of money with the rest of your fertility program. So I think that's incredibly important. I also said it earlier on the show, but with sulfur, we don't get the acid rains that we used to, or at least in most areas we don't. And so we used to get free sulfur coming down in our atmosphere. We aren't seeing nearly as much of that. Plus, our yields are a lot higher. We need a lot more sulfur, and you can only get a little bit out of the organic matter. We usually figure two to three pounds for each 1% of organic matter. So if you had 5% organic matter, we figure you're going to get 10 to 15 pounds of sulfur each year out of that for free. So that's something, but it's certainly not all the sulfur that most crops will need. Now, grass crops are pretty sensitive to sulfur, but even the broadleaf crops do need some sulfur. So we just really encourage you. 
Number one, soil test. Number two, make sure you know what your crop needs. And number three, don't neglect calcium and sulfur because they're secondary nutrients. And I know everybody's talking NP and K, but calcium and sulfur are tremendously important in crops. If you ever have any questions on them, certainly give us a call or send us an email here, radio at agphd.com. All right, let's get back to the Ag PhD mailbag. What you got next there, Darren? All right, I got four page uh, summary of the of the multiple soil tests here that Tony sent in. He's in South Central Minnesota. He said, "Guys, uh, I've got a one and a half acre grid uh, test program that I'm on here. I've been on a build program in this soil for four years. I put pattern tile on 60 inch spacing on this silty loam soil back in 2016. So we're six years into this pattern tile." And I've made some progress in my ideal pH areas, still struggling in my high pH areas, not getting as much uh, movement in some things there. Um, said what I've do you got, mean by movement? He said, I've got manganese and phosphorus that even though I'm applying more than crop removal, I'm still showing low in my high pH soils. Now, okay. I, you do see no, you do notice some higher sulfur readings. I put on 250 pounds of elemental sulfur three years ago, and I feel like I'm still getting some impact from that. Um, let's see. Do we know what lab this even was? Well, and he said that's another question. He said this was run by a different lab. I'm just wondering what you think about that. He's growing 220 bushel corn, 65 bushel beans on normal years although this year has been dry and still dry when he pulled the samples. Okay, so phosphorus, it's really not going to matter what lab necessarily, what test, you should be seeing an increase in phosphorus levels. You got a wide range, 88 parts per million down to two. The the two, two, as as you know, that's very problematic. So we got to do something in those areas. The 88, certainly not too bad. But the reason why I'm asking on the test is I don't know what kind of phosphorus test that is. Is it an Olson test? Is it a Bray test? Is it a Malik test? I'm not sure, so I can't exactly tell you here. But I just know that two in any of those would be exceptionally low. With the, the type of test you're running, if it's a DTPA test on micronutrients, your manganese is going to show low. And so even if you're over-applying manganese every single year in high pH, it's still going to show low. So that's part of the reason why we've gone to Malik 3 testing. That plus it's cheaper. So anyway, I like Malik 3 testing. And then um, we'd ha- you would see more what's actually in the soil on manganese. But yeah, let's put it this way. If you've got low testing soil and you're trying to build it, you're never going to like the price tag because it stinks. Even two years ago when fertilizer was at a 15-year low, I did not like the grand total dollar amount that we ended up spending. But I do like the fact that we did get our soils built up. Our yields have been really good. And we've been in drought for two and a half years. We've still had really good yield. I, I And I've said to people, I don't even know where these yields are coming from. So I know the fertility is helping. And then if we aren't using quite as much because our yields are only average instead of the exceptional that we were thinking, then you don't have as much money that it costs to replace the nutrients that were removed. But anyway, um, I, I guess I just say you've got lots of variability left in that soil. You don't have to spend tremendous amounts of money in many spots on your farm. But where these soil tests are really low, where you, like I say, where you got two parts per million of phosphorus and things like that, that's where you're you're gonna want to get that addressed ASAP. Um, so beyond that, 
I, I mean, if I just look at the lows for all the things, yeah, you're going to get, you're going to probably get disheartened if that's what you're focusing on. But you can also look at the highs, and that's what I try to focus on on our own farm. That oh, hey, I'm in good shape in, you know, whether it's zinc or sulfur or something like that or potassium. I mean, you got one spot on your farm that's seven point eight percent base saturation K. That's awesome. Okay, you don't need to put any more potassium there this year, and quite frankly, putting more potassium there is not going to make you more money. But where you also have where where instead you have 1.1% base saturation K, well, that's a good spot to invest your money. So that's the whole purpose of soil testing. It's trying to figure out where should you spend your dollars and where should you save your dollars. So I, I guess specifically, Darren, were there any other questions beyond that? Okay. All right, let's move on. All right. Uh, exciting radio here, but more soil tests to look at. Now, this one comes from Mark, but I think you might find this interesting. So this is in peaches, and uh, he said, I've got five-acre— oh I'm, no, I'm no peach expert, but five, go ahead. Oh, they're tasty, though. Five-acre soil grids here on two different peach blocks, but the, the question that I've got, my miners, my micronutrients, look really low. They're all in the very low-to-low low category here. Uh, just curious, what do you think if I'm doing surface applications uh, in an orchard like this? Can I get an impact out of those nutrients? Will they move enough in soil, or should I look at some different way to apply them? And then, what forms of those nutrients do you think might help me the best? Sure. Okay, that's a fantastic question. Let Let's put it this way: We've been talking about sulfur sulfur today. Well, sulfur in the sulfate form is absolutely leachable. Now, it doesn't leach as fast as nitrate. They usually say about half the speed of nitrate is the speed that sulfate will leave your ground. And then you also have things like boron that are leachable and chloride as well. But the flip side is zinc is not leachable. Copper is not leachable. So if you're going to put out, let's say, boron and sulfur and nitrogen and stuff for your trees, that's fine. You put it on the soil surface, it's going to move its way down. I'm sure you already know this, but phosphorus, just like zinc and copper, phosphorus is quite immobile in soil. So if you lay that on the soil surface, the odds that it's going to get down to where you need it, they're not real great. Now, some people will talk about overloading phosphorus just in a like a narrow band or something, and, and then it moves down better, but I don't know. It it's it's hard. It's harder with trees when you're talking about things like phosphorus and zinc and copper. So what would I do if it was mine? Um, I would probably try to get it down into the ground just a little bit. You don't have to go down so much to cut a whole bunch of tree roots or anything. But at least if it's down in the ground a little bit, you probably have a better chance that it's going to get to your roots as opposed to laying it on the soil surface. What we often say is if you want to build an entire soil profile, then going with a dry on almost anything. I don't care if it's zinc sulfate, copper sulfate, phosphorus, whatever. Dry is a good way to go to build overall soil tests. If you're just trying to feed a plant, and especially in the short term, liquid's a pretty good way to go because it's available. Um, it's much easier to band and not create crazy amounts of salt right in a, in a zone. Uh, just use a low salt product or something like that. A lot of people use chelated products for better availability as well. All right, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.